And now it is your turn. So I'm excited that you are here. Who's excited to be here tonight? <laughs> Who's excited to be here today? <laughs> Who's excited to be here online? All right, I'm sure you'll actually, you know, respond, you know, along those lines. I want to recap just a little bit. Uh, God did some amazing things uh, this last week uh, in our facility here at Barker. We had over 3,000, right about 3,000 people, you know, uh, who are part of one of our Easter services on site. So it was just encouraging to have people back in the building. You know, uh, for those of you who are online, there was over 1,500 people that were online. In fact, those of you who are online, if you can just take a second and just put in there, what is one thing that you loved about Easter weekend, especially the online experience? Just do that right now. Put it in the chat. We'd love to hear some feedback, you know, from, from you. Uh, more importantly, uh, we had 10 baptisms last weekend as we can celebrate. 10 baptisms, uh, you know, and we always are, are trying to just, just say, God, you're leading, you're guiding, you're drawing people to yourself. Uh, Otis, our church plant, officially got kicked off, you know, on Sunday. They had over 400 people on site. You know, isn't that amazing, you know, to be able to celebrate, you know, that. And in the words of Holland, uh, their lead pastor, he said that decisions were made and baptisms are coming. And so uh, very excited to see what God is doing there. Now, uh, every year, uh, we take two special offerings. Uh, one is Christmas or Christmas Eve, that time frame, where we always are thinking about what is something that God has put on our heart that we can then take every single dollar, every penny, and put it outside these walls into our local community or into the world. Now, for those of you who are new with us, whether you're online or on-site, our second special offering always takes place around Mother's Day or on Mother's Day in this case. And what we're trying to do is that we try to find a specific vision initiative that God is doing through this place that we know is going to cost some extra resource for us to fulfill so we can continue to reach this community for Jesus one person at a time. And so in the past, we've done things like expand our kids' facility, or we've added parking spaces, or we've launched an Otis campus or a Freeman campus. Those are some of the special offerings that we've taken place in May over the last couple years. And so I'm just going to give you that as a little teaser, because next week we're going to announce online and on-site what that is specifically, and how you can begin to pray and process for every dollar that comes in on Mother's Day weekend will go towards this specific initiative. Okay, so just be praying, just be processing. I gave you a little, little hint a few weeks ago, and it's a more of a hint today. It's called a teaser, you know, for you to be able to come back and be a part of what God is doing. Now today, we kick off a new series called Death to Selfie, okay? Death to Selfie. I, I mentioned last week that this is an identity crisis that we find ourselves in here in America. And as we're trying to figure out and answer the question, who are we? We have people just so confused and trying to find out, figure out, rationalize, explain, and try to tell others who they are. In fact, if you were to describe yourself to someone else, a description of who you are, what would you immediately say? What are some things that might come to mind? That you would say, you know what, if I'm going to let you know a little bit about my identity, these are the things that would come to mind. Now, I had a little bit of fun, and I asked uh, on social media, what are some things that uh, you would say that might be humorous, uh, might be a little creative as ways that you describe yourself, and it was legit. 
Okay, uh, you got to go and you got to look, you got to see because it was epic. In fact, I might even save uh, some of them until next week. But here are some of uh, my favorite. Uh, uh, for example, just we'll start off uh, pretty light here, but Linda wrote this. Uh, if you see someone tripping, running into things, or spilling on themselves, it's probably me. <laughs> like, okay, so just, just call them. And we used to have a, a title called Karen, so now we can have one called Linda, you know, if you see somebody that falls all of themselves. Okay, Matt wrote, uh, if you combined uh, Clark Griswold, Ch Chandler Bing, and Ron Swanson's personalities together, you would have successfully cloned me. I'm like, okay, that is an interesting person. Uh, Melissa wrote, one of my favorites, Melissa wrote, I'm half hood and half holy. That means pray with me, don't play with me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's funny. That's pretty unique. Uh, Gracie wrote, I'm part redneck and part Latina. It's anyone guess, anyone's guess which one wins out for the day. And if you know Gracie, you know this to be absolutely true. Now, Eric wrote, uh, <laughs> I'm a cross-stitching merce. So he's actually a male nurse, and he calls himself a merce, and so he cross-stitches. So I'm like, okay, that's one way to describe yourself. Uh, Zachary wrote, uh, I'm like Dan Shields with a beard. <laughs> not, not sure exactly how to take that one. Uh, my favorite by far was Ron wrote, people accept me even though I dress like an unmade waterbed. <laughs> I'm like, What? What does that even mean? You know, that's epic. You know, uh, Rebecca, you know, uh, wrote, I used to be a domestic engineer, a stay-at-home mom, and now I keep my husband, Reed, out of jail, and she's his executive assistant. <laughs> to which, on my feed, Reed responds to Rebecca, I don't even know what to do with that, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> to which Rebecca responds back, say thank you, and here's some flowers I bought for you. <laughs> I'm just bringing marriages together. You know, that's just what happens on, on my social media feed. Uh, you are welcome. All right, getting off the rails a little bit. So uh, identity, honestly, is a search for meaning. It's a search for value and a purpose in life. And there's two different kinds of definitions or where we get this explained when it comes to the idea of identity. One is from the world. And so the world has a specific definition of what it means to find out what your identity is and God has a different one. And I want you to notice as we go through this series how this is actually played out. And maybe, just maybe, just like me, uh, you've bought into some of what the world has to tell us our identity is. So for example, the world's definition identity literally is this. Who you are, the way you think about yourself, the way you are viewed by the world, and the characteristics that define you is how you find out your identity. That's what you look online, you can take a look for yourself. So for example, what this would mean is that uh, my identity is found in what I've accomplished or experienced, what I own, what people think about me, what my relational status is, and what I believe my sex or sexuality should be, etc. In fact, I need you to be praying, because next week we're going to jump right in to the gender, sex, sexuality, you know, discussion next weekend. And it may be my last weekend because I get canceled. So just please come praying, you know, as we seek to try to understand because that is a core of what our American culture is defining as our identity. And we want to say, what does Jesus say about that? Because often we feel pressured to define ourselves, honestly, through our jobs, through our financial status, through our successes, our grades, our appearance, what other people say about us in many other ways. But what happens if we've bought into that identity but then that thing that we have bought into actually gets taken away. We find ourselves then scrambling 
to try to find out what it is that we're supposed to define ourselves or redefine ourselves because we bought in hook, line, and sinker to one of those external things. See, our circumstances are going to change, but our identity doesn't have to, okay? So we're going to hit a bunch of these over these next few weeks up and through Mother's Day, but I need you to understand that God's definition reigns supreme. God's definition of identity, don't miss this, seeing ourselves through his eyes. God's definition of identity is to see ourselves. That's how we're going to find out what our identity truly is. One of the most powerful scriptures in all of the Bible is actually found in Psalms 139. If you get a chance this week, I would really encourage you to dive deep into that specific passage. For it says in verse 13, you, God, made all my delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. What God is saying is that you have value, you have identity before you ever take your first breath. That's why we value so much the sanctity of life. Because God says we are known even then. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out for a single day that had passed. How precious are your thoughts, not others, your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Our lives have value to God before we ever had relationships, before we ever owned any material possessions, before we ever had other people's opinions about us, before we ever contributed anything to this world. And you know exactly, at least to a point, what that means if you've ever been a parent. A child was born. And you hear this all the time, I experience in my own life, I love this child. And I have no words to describe the love that I have for this child. Why? The child has done nothing, right? Hasn't contributed anything, hasn't even barely bonded, just took its first breath, and all of a sudden there's this bond, there's this attachment. Could it be it's the same way that God, and then multiply it by a billion, thinks and feels about us? That our identity actually finds in our existence and not on a lot of these other things. So this first week, let's address our first identity lie that we buy into. I am what I do. I am what I do. In fact, there's, there's a wise man, they call him the wisest man that ever lived, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon writes these words of wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Now notice this. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing after the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. See, the lie is if I perform well, then I must be valuable. And then that becomes an attachment. In other words, I might be good at basketball, so that is my identity. Or maybe you're a businessman or woman or a stay-at-home mom, or you got an award, you got recognized for your title, your role, your accomplishments. That's what gives us value. And we know this to be true to some extent. Because what we do, I do this too, is when we meet someone, 
we usually ask, hey, what's your name? And then the second question is, what do you do? Right? It's a value question. And, 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 and based on the answer to that, we can have a temptation to categorize in the back or in the forefront of our minds of worth that we begin to attribute to someone based on the answer to that question. And it's wrong. Uh, for me, it always seems to take place on the golf course. Right? The golf course, and for some reason, I call it the third hole rule. See, the first two holes, if I'm golfing with somebody else, you know, or other people, it is awesome what comes out. I mean, the language, you know, that comes out, the stories that come out, you know, the, the, just the honesty that comes out. And then by hole number three, I always call it hole number three, somebody usually looks at me and says, hey, uh, Deanna, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. You should see how the rest of the game changes. The curse words are done. The drinking is gone. The, 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 the jokes that shouldn't be told aren't mentioned anymore. And there's usually an apologetic attitude in one way, shape or, shape or form. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to change. But for some reason, the answer to what I do changes our relationship, maybe for the good, you know, in the midst of that moment. Uh, my wife, uh, for much of her life, uh, stayed home with our kids, especially in their early years. And she was asked over and over and over, and many of you ladies know that poll of what is value, what is worth, stay at home, working mom, all that other kind of stuff. And so when she was asked on a consistent basis, hey, Carolina, what do you do? She got pretty clever over the years, and her response became consistently, I am CEO of domestic operations. <laughs> and they would look at her, and then they would think, and then they would begin to laugh. You know, because it was just another way to be able to process again an answer because she felt she had value, but she felt sometimes the answer she gave that I'm a stay-at-home mom actually created her to feel less value. Isn't it interesting when it comes to our identity? See, if what we do or our title is taken away, does that take away our identity? Think about it for just a second. Uh, man, I was in high school, and when I was in high school, my identity was so wrapped up in sports. And I love sports, love playing sports. Uh, I'll never forget, it was my junior year, though, when we were playing football. It was the last game of the season. We were playing at Cedar Crest High School, you know, on the west side of the state. And my foot got stuck in a pothole, uh, and uh, it twisted fairly significantly. It uh, uh, stretched a couple tendons and ripped a different one. And my right ankle never fully recovered again. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. It was so hard for me to continue to wake up and find value and worth because in amongst my friends, I was the jock. I was the sports guy. And now that was taken away for a period of time. In fact, it was so much so my mom always reminds me of a conversation she had with me when I was 15 years of age. And she says, uh, Dan, I'm just concerned about where sports is in relationship with God. I said, mom, let me just be really honest and frank with you. If I had to choose right now between sports and God, I would probably would choose sports. God showed me. <laughs> See, I can tell you that of all the ones that we're going to talk about, this one is probably the hardest one when it comes to me. I, I started thinking, because you think, oh, when you graduate from high school, it begins to change. It doesn't. It actually sometimes gets more cemented in our lives. Uh, I started thinking, well, I'm a pastor now, right? Been a pastor for a long time. If I wasn't a pastor, would I still be used by God in the same way? Would people still want to talk to me 
Would they want to have my input into their lives? And that's a wrestle. It really is. And I don't think I'm alone in that. In fact, I know this last year that it has happened to a lot of you. Whether you didn't get the scholarship that you're hoping for, the grade, or you didn't get to go to school, or you lost that job, or your career took a turn. So many of this last year was, or went on furlough, was so challenging and so painful because some of your and my identity was wrapped into what we do. And with what we do gets taken away, it actually reveals how much of our identity it really is. In fact, did you ever evaluate or look back about how devastating this last year was and whatever it is that you were doing, you were not able to do, especially to the levels in which you'd always had done. I know so many men and women, and I don't know if it's more of a male thing or not, but especially men who retire. And after they retire from the workforce, so many go into depression or bitterness or angst or stress or anxiety because all their lives... They have been the CEO or they've been the person that people have gone to. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in a time of celebration, it seems to be taken away and we find ourselves floundering. It's never meant to be that way. See, Jesus, over and over and over, brought value to people's lives by relationship based on our very existence. See, what we do has to come out, if you're a follower of Christ, of our identity, when we find it in Jesus. We're supposed to do things. We're going to get to that in just a second. But I don't want you to miss this. You are not, your identity is not what you do. You are what Jesus has done. That becomes our identity, something that's going to last no matter what. In fact, Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What you're going to see, much of this series, is a matter of priority importance is what happens. When we put things out of order, we find ourselves floundering because we find our identity in things that God did not intend us to have. In fact, Craig Rochelle, you know, has used this phrase, don't confuse the who with the do. Don't confuse the who with the do. What we do is a result of who we are. What we do doesn't define who we are. Otherwise, your identity is your successes and achievements or mistakes and failures. Then you can be one day esteemed by your friends in our culture and the next day you're canceled, right? That's the direction if we live by these things. Do these successes and failures help shape and mold you? Yes, but they shouldn't define you. And there's a big difference between the two. See, if you and I are followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to allow God to define the why behind the what. We allow God to define the why behind the what. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Think about that. You're his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The identity comes out of our identity in Christ and then we're able to do because what we do is not based on our identity. It's based on Jesus and our anchor is in him. Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. See, we get a chance in this series to allow God to define the when and then the then. The when and then the then. Dan, what the heck are you talking about? James chapter four says it this way. Look here. 
You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town, we'll stay there a year. We're going to do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. You ought to say, if it's the Lord's will for us to do this, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. So here's what James is telling us. We do and accomplish and then finally say, well, when I finally achieve something, then I will actually do what I'm supposed to do. So when I finally get this job done, then I will do this or that. We're the ones to determine this. What God is saying is let's have him define the when and the them. Let me give you some practical examples as it's played out in relationships. Ever heard yourself or other people say something like this? When the kids get older, then we will spend more time on working on our marriage. When we get our career established, then we will decide to get married and honor God. When we get financially where we want to be, and when we get to pay off debt, then we will start to tithe. When we get a big house, then we will start hosting a life group. When things settle down in life, then we will start serving in the church and serving him. The problem is the then never comes when we do it in that order. It's the performance mentality. And there's always a giant to kill. There's always a mountain to climb, a task to complete, another goal just around the corner. Allow God to reprioritize our when and then, and then you and I will find ourselves with solid identity when it comes to work. We're supposed to work. We can find pleasure in work. We can find fulfillment in work, but it needs to be God and then work. Then we find it in our identity. In fact, uh, one of the most famous stories that have ever been told about this very thing is a story that many of you have heard, maybe you've not, whether you're watching online or in the room, it's about Mary and Martha. It's a perfect example of this. As the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. What a great thing. You're welcoming Jesus into your home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Mary was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Martha's not wrong, right? Look, there are 12, 13, who knows how many other dudes that just walked in. Have you ever tried to feed a basketball or football team? It takes some work. It takes some energy. The king of kings and lord of lords has just walked into your house. How are you going to treat him? And so you're working around trying to show great hospitality, great service, great sacrifice. And you're looking around and in one moment you're like, hey, where's my help? My sister? My lazy no good, leave me in the kitchen by myself to do all the dishes and all the preparation. Sister is out there sitting on her can and I'm in here slaving away. You can just see her stewing. So much so that she, you notice she doesn't ever address her sister. Jesus, tell my sister. Because obviously her sister's not listening to her. And Jesus says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. 
Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. See, it's not a matter of Jesus not caring about preparing a meal, right? It's not a matter of Jesus not understanding what's taking place around. It's a matter of priority. And what he's saying is, is that when we spend time with Jesus, then we're able to work for Jesus in whatever occupation, whatever schooling, wherever we find ourselves living, whatever family we find ourselves belonging to, then we can do what God has called us to do. When we switch the order, our identity begins to change. And then when those things change, then we are devastated by the circumstances around us. It's out of rest that actually comes work. Rest in Jesus. So as we close, can you identify where you might be putting your identity in what you do, the things that you have accomplished, your title, your position, your status, instead of who you are in Jesus? It's out of that identity that our purpose and our work flows Let's be honest, it is so exhausting to be defined by what we do because you always have to measure up either in the eyes of others, your boss, your spouse, the corporation, the world, keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it may be, it's exhausting. And for those of you, whether you're watching online or you're here in the building, my prayer is that you would receive these words as if Jesus himself were saying them to you. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, And the burden, the work that I give you is light. When we come to Jesus, he works in us and through us in such a way where we should be living a life where if it was all on our shoulders, we should be exhausted in what we do. But when it's on his and he's the priority, it lessens the load and we're able to experience the life that he's called us to live. And as always, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. This is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, I just pray. I know that this is one for me that I can find myself struggling with at times, thinking that my worth, even my value before you is based on what I do. I know that so many others who are watching right now or who are in the room, struggle so much with their value based on what the boss might say, what the spouse might give praise or not to based on what we've done. I pray, Father, that we would truly understand that our identity and value and worth is our very existence based on what you have done. And out of that, may we then live a life that pleases you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.